In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Having just explicitly told Jesus that we believe that he sees us and that he hears us, let's also very consciously turn our heart to him in a desire to pray, to listen, to be close, to be moved, and to do all of that very much in the faith and in the confidence that in this time of Lent, we are actually offered a genuine opportunity. That this isn't some sort of formulistic thing that just happens in the calendar as if we were on some sort of liturgical conveyor belt and it's now been Ash Wednesday, we got ashes on our forehead, we ask one another, what are you giving up for Lent? And we wonder if we should give up chocolate or some other sort of thing, and a bit formalistic. But I'd like for us to, having taken, made the effort to set aside this time on this weekend, to genuinely turn to God in faith and believe that He is present to you right now. And present to you means that He is before you, He is within you, expectant, desiring for you to turn to him, to let him come close to you. And for us to understand the nature of grace, the nature of of God's active uh, presence and, and, and before me in this expectant way, Perhaps we need to have a bit more of the innocence of children who believe that things can actually change and that we don't have the cynicism of our experience that makes us think that things don't really change. What's been is what will be. This is the way things are. I know how I am. This is what there is. Precisely the grace that we are being offered in this time of Lent is the opportunity to turn to him in a genuine, sincere way, in the confidence that he is actually, as I say, before me, within me, expectant. Let us believe that I can choose to be with him, to allow him to be with me, and that this can be right now. This is the point. So often the, the, the prophets, are very, we hear it often in Mass, if today you should hear his voice, harden not your heart. If today you should hear his voice. And perhaps one of the more frequent ways in which we distance ourselves from God is simply procrastination of a sort. Imagining that there'll be a better moment when I'm less busy, when I'm more focused, when I'm in a better mood, or we don't even know when that, whatever. Something better is going to happen if we can't even name it. But now, in God's presence, now having set aside time this weekend, I invite you to try and open yourself up to the possibility that this is a time of 
grace and that all you have to do is surrender to him. That really is the effort, if you like. The effort to get out of the way. And in the process, perhaps in ways that you couldn't have imagined beforehand, in ways in which you aren't kind of fully expecting, discover the kind of life and the kind of peace that comes from actually having Jesus very close to you, very intimate with you. And almost guaranteed, it's going to be significantly different than what you imagine right now. But that's what we need to open ourselves up to. To try to help us in this, I'd like to come back to some words that I've uh, used before and, and considered in other meditations from Pope Francis. Uh, some years back now, when he was in Assisi in Italy, and considering the life of St. Francis, and he was in his homily made a reflection about what we can learn from St. Francis's life. And he said, what does St. Francis's witness tell us today? What does he have to say to us, not, not merely with words, that is easy enough, but by his life? The first thing he tells us is this, that being a Christian means having a living relationship with the person of Jesus. It means putting on Christ, being conformed to him. Where did Francis's journey to Christ begin? It began with the gaze of the crucified Jesus. With letting Jesus look at us at the very moment that he gives his life for us and draws us to himself. Francis experienced this in a special way in the church of Saint Damiano as he prayed before the cross. On that cross, Jesus is depicted not as dead, but alive. Jesus' eyes are not closed, but open, wide open. He looks at us in a way that touches our hearts. The cross does not speak to us about defeat and failure. Paradoxically, it speaks to us about a death which is life, a death which gives life, for it speaks to us of love, the love of God incarnate, a love which does not die, but triumphs over evil and death. And this is where Pope Francis now brings the, these considerations to a focus. When we let the crucified Jesus gaze upon us, we are recreated. We become a new creation. Everything else starts with this. The experience of transforming grace, the experience of being loved for no merits of our own, in spite of our being sinners. To let crucified Jesus gaze upon us. Now, as you and I hear those words, we may be tempted to think that we're talking about something passive. You know, is something lazy, maybe, for those of us who are a little bit more stern with ourselves. You know, and to say, well, if I need to really live went, Lent well, if I need to be a good Christian, surely, I don't know, <clears throat> I got to do more. I can't just let Jesus gaze upon me. It sounds too soft, maybe. 
But what I would simply suggest is if you really try to do it, you'll discover it's actually not easy. It actually does require an effort. And perhaps part of that effort is the feeling of being afraid of letting him look at you as you are. That hesitancy of eye contact, that almost instinctive way in which we look the other way. Perhaps even a little bit more deeply as you try to let Jesus gaze upon you, you might discover a concern that if he were to look at you, he would turn away in disappointment, frustration, or perhaps even anger. And therefore, there can be an unwillingness to let ourselves be seen. And that the faith that we have to make an effort to foster is to believe that God is not like us. He does not love the way that we love. His love is pure gift, pure donation. It is healing mercy. And the more that we allow it to come in, the more we allow him to gaze upon us, the more that mercy and that grace integrates us, it brings us together. It makes us wholly the person that he wants us to be. That is why God is glorified when we allow him to gaze upon us. It is not through our achievements, through our successes, that we glorify God. In other words, that we allow his perfection, his love, his goodness, his beauty to shine out visibly in the world. Yes, we are called to serve him. Yes, we are called to, to be light and leaven in the world, to reconcile the world to God through our work and through our friendship and through helping people come to an understanding of the faith and and to discover a personal friendship with Christ. Yes, all of that is true, but it happens to the degree that we let him love us. That we allow ourselves to be put together by him. Humpty Dumpties that we are. To be made one through that spirit of contemplative prayer that is very normal. It's not kind of strange and mystical and seeing things or hearing things. It's the ability to be in silence with him and to allow myself to say, you know what, I don't have to earn it. I don't have to prove it. I can let him gaze upon me. The effort of letting Jesus look at me also means that I have to make the effort to let go of my desire to control my faith, my life of prayer, my relationship with Jesus. And there's not a single human being on the face of the earth who doesn't like to be in control. This is why we, you know, if you're falling out of a plane or something, you panic, right? Because you're out of control. <laughs> we, 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 safety is precisely, a sense of safety is precisely that sense of I know what's going on, right? So I, I kind of have a sense of control. And that's, that's just, that's part of being a normal human being. But we have to, God is inviting us by elevating us to the ability of being loved by him and loving him back. 
that instead of simply relying on our normal human way of doing things, we start acting on the basis of faith, which is to trust because he's the one who calls us. He's the one who speaks to us. And where he leads me and as he leads me is going to somehow be better than the plan that I've made for myself. The plan that gives me reassurance and control. And perhaps I'm being too vague in saying all of this, but just to break it down into something very simple. Maybe, but this is all thoughts and considerations for your own personal prayer and consideration. But think about how what I'm saying just would even apply to your effort today, having come away to Liz Mullen, to pray. Maybe, and I think it's the most normal thing, it happens to all of us to some degree, you have an expectation of what that should feel like, what that should look like, what it should involve. And that expectation is the expectation by which you judge yourself. Am I praying well? Is this good? Is it not good? But a bit what Pope Francis is encouraging us to do, and he's taking us to the heart of the gospel, is to say, okay, well, look, <clears throat> we're kind of always going to have that expectation. We're going to have that standard. But just park it a little bit. Set it aside. And have the much deeper reassurance of relying on God's goodness. The fact that he loves you in a unique, unrepeatable way. When he sees you, he sees no one else. When he loves you, he loves no one else. He's not looking over your shoulder to the person behind you. He's not somewhat distracted thinking about someone in Bangladesh. He's not kind of a little bit anxious to get on to the governing of the world as he listens to you pray. He is infinite and perfect listening because he is infinite and perfect presence. And to allow myself to be open to that is to allow myself to pray. And how is that going to look? Find out. Go forward. And that is what losing a little bit of control in the positive sense involves. Probably just taking this line of, of consideration, the most striking image of this, or one of the most striking images of this in the gospel, is Jesus inviting Peter to come out and to walk on water. Well, Jesus invites Peter because Peter asked, which of course is a beautiful point too. Lord, if it is you, bid me to come and walk upon the water with you. But it's, it's a very clear way in which Peter desires to do more than what he feels himself capable of doing. Jesus blesses that desire and invites him to follow it. And then Peter literally has to go beyond his ordinary sense of feeling and control. And he has to put out his leg and he has to shift his weight and he has to lean down until he's actually standing on water. And he takes another step and he goes forward and he's doing all of it insofar as he stays afloat, focused on the person of Jesus. There he is. And believing that Jesus wants him there. Believing that Jesus wants him there. That's another important part of letting Jesus gaze upon you. 
believing that he wants to, that he actually delights in you. And again, these thoughts that I'm considering are not therapeutic thoughts. They're challenging thoughts of faith. Because if we do not challenge ourselves to believe in this, what we will do is rely on ourselves. We will try to be self-healing, self-sustaining, <coughs> self-strengthening. Instead of having the freedom of being strengthened, of being healed, of being sustained by someone who has created us, by someone who is present to us, by someone who loves us and desires us. We could go through many other scenes in the Gospels of people who allow, in a way, Jesus to gaze upon them. Martha and Mary, perhaps, present us an instance of this. When they invite Jesus into their home and they're preparing a dinner because there's other guests and people who are invited. And Martha, as you remember, is, is understandably and logically someone had to get things ready is preparing the dinner and she's rushing around and that's in a way how she understands that she's being close to Jesus, that she's loving him, that she's serving him. But Mary shamelessly sits at Jesus' feet. She had the audacity to believe that that was where she belonged, listening. But listening, the beautiful thing too, I mean, just think about it, use your imagination. She doesn't listen like behind the door from the next room, you know, outside, kind of with her ear up against the window, listening to what Jesus says. She goes and kind of sits right in front of him. Right in front of him, in a way, looking up at him so that he will look at her. And she drinks it in. And Martha gets annoyed at this, she gets frustrated. There's a very human way of understanding this, and just a logical way that work needed to get done. This is what she thought, well, my sister should be helping me. She's completely, you know, selfish. Oh, who knows? We, we don't know. We, it's, we can imagine it and relate to it, I think, fairly easily, Martha's frustration. But what matters, the significant thing, is how Jesus defends Mary, sitting there, listening, but more than listening, she, she's listening, but I, I don't think, you know, Martha was, Mary, excuse me, Mary was at Jesus' feet because she's like, you know, if I could just figure out this bit of the Old Testament, you know, I could finally sleep at night, you know? And I'm really kind of anxious about understanding the law and how that relates to salvation and justification. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't think that was on Mary's mind at all. She wanted to listen because somehow she knew that these were words that were drawing her closer to life. They were freeing her, but above all, she wanted to look at him and let her look at let him look at her. And so there she was, drinking it in. And Jesus corrects Martha and she says, leave her be. She has chosen the better part. And maybe today you need to hear those words as well. When you feel the need in your mind to race about, to figure things out, to get kind of analytical about yourself and things that need to be done and your future and your present and your past and, I don't know, everything. Maybe a bit interiorly racing like Martha. Maybe you need to be a bit encouraged by Jesus' words of saying, well, no, 
why don't you just sit here and listen to me and if you don't hear me saying anything just let me gaze upon you another way in which we see the power of Jesus' gaze happens in the life of Peter Peter who in the Last Supper was full of enthusiasm and eagerness he feels that he, was, he felt that he was capable of doing anything to follow Jesus and to defend him. He shows Jesus that he has a sword. He promises Jesus that I will die for you. I will follow you. I'll suffer anything for you. And all the time, what is Jesus trying to tell Peter? He's trying to say, Peter, you need to receive. You need to rely on the Father. When they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, after Peter's made all of these promises and he's full of bluster and he's feeling that everything's possible, Jesus takes him aside and implores him to pray. He says, pray so that you might not enter into the suffering. And Peter goes to sleep. I don't, I don't mean to, uh, just as a side thing, I don't mean to be uh, kind of like cranky when I make this comment, but it's just... It's happened a few times recently, and it, it kind of struck me as a very, I don't know, powerful thing. And celebrating Mass, it's happened to me a few times, of precisely in the moment of the consecration, saying the words of the consecration and realizing that it's Christ, myself, I realize that it's Christ himself who's acting in that moment, that a miracle has happened, that that bread has been transformed into the body of Christ, and that Jesus' self-giving love is actually made present in that moment, accessible. And in the moment in the Mass to elevate and, and to realize that this is what's happening. And in the silence to just hear a yawn, you know? Someone just yawn. Now, I normally celebrate Mass in the morning, so I understand, I get it. <laughs> That's why I say I don't want to be cranky about it, you know, and kind of turn around and, who yawned, you know, and stop it, you know, and, and I was, you know, we should somehow feel bad and, you know, I want to somehow reprimand the person even if I knew who it was. But I just mention it because it's something that's struck me of, of that's a little bit our weakness. And it's a weakness that God understands, that even when he gives us as fully as he can, the mystery of himself, so often our response is a yawn. No matter how amazingly we can present it, no matter how perfectly the words are placed, we could have, you know, big flat screen televisions here with all sorts of video and I could have neon lights and smoke and all sorts of, you know, bells and whistles. We could do all of this and someone would still yawn. <laughs> Because that's our weakness. And I say all of this for us to be humble about it. For us to be humble and say, Lord, I would like to be able to love the way that you love me. But I need to rely on you. I need to let you come in. And when I do yawn, when I get distracted, when I don't feel much, when I feel a little bit uh, disappointed with myself, Respond humbly. And that, that humility is the simultaneous recognition that I'm a yawner, but I'm also someone who wants to be loved and to love. And that both of those things are true.
And I'm going to give more uh, weight, more importance to the fact that I am someone who wants to be loved and to love. And I believe that in turning to him in a life of prayer, that's how I can live that to the full. Turning back to Peter, and with this we can, we can bring our, our, this moment of prayer to a close. Peter falls asleep. Peter loses it when actually the Roman soldiers appear. He loses it because, if you remember one of the gospel accounts, he just starts flailing around with his sword. And like he, kind of, he just like accidentally hits some poor innocent servant and kind of chops off his ear, which is kind of very clumsy, the whole thing. And Jesus heals the servant. And basically, Peter couldn't have made a poorer show of himself in all, in all ways. And he runs away uh, in confusion. And then as if that wasn't bad enough, then he follows Jesus a little bit. He's trying to stay close, but then he goes and he's with the servants as they're trying to warm themselves around the fire. And they uh, say, were you with him? And he denies it and he betrays Jesus. But he betrays him in, in the way that Jesus has said, you're going to betray me. And the rooster's going to crow and that'll be the sign to remind you of what I said. And the rooster crows and Peter's heart is ripped in two. But then one of the gospel writers tells us that what happens, and it's not very clear the logistics of it, but somehow Jesus was moving from one place to another and he turned and he looked at Peter. And Peter let Jesus look at him. It's very, very important that this idea of letting Jesus look at us is even more important when we have fallen, when we've sinned, or just when we've just been ignoring him for a long time. Ignoring him because we've been caught up in other things, because we've been too busy, because we've been stressed out, because our heart's just been kind of in, in a knot, just because of perhaps a tension that we've been in. We can come to an awareness that I have grown far from him in some way. And it's precisely then that as Peter let Jesus look at him, we need to do the same and recover that peace, that serenity. And this is why Peter responded differently than Judas. Peter let Jesus look at him and he was born anew and he became Peter, stronger, the rock, Judas did not let Jesus look at him. He turned away in shame. And that shame very quickly disintegrated into despair. And he separated himself. Judas did. Mary, our mother, uh, is very eager, precisely as, our, as a mother, as someone who cares about us and who wants, wants what is best for us and wants to nurture us, wants us to allow Jesus to look at us, to allow him to contemplate us, to consider us. And, and she wants to maybe perhaps help us un, unspool a little bit, to untangle the different knots that we might have inside that prevent us from doing this. Because again, I'm not talking about like, a, this isn't an exterior physical thing where it's enough for you to just sit there in that bench and just kind of look at the tabernacle. It's a start, but it's an interior process of allowing that process to happen. And Mary, this another image that Pope Francis is very fond of, Mary the untire of knots. Well, let's let her 
untie those knots. Help us, be with us to untie them so that we can more freely allow that loving gaze to enter us, uh, to allow that mercy to come in and to heal us, and in this way, live the grace of Lent in a very profitable way. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father-in-Law, my guardian angel, intercede for me.